Katie. And I'm Joe. And we are Genre Genre Fans. Fans. Each week, as a companion to our Genre Deep Dive video essay project on YouTube, we'll be discussing how well we think a specific film we watched works as a member of its genre. Today, the genre is giallo, and the film is Short Night of Glass Dolls. As a warning, spoilers abound, so if you haven't watched this movie, please do. We watched Short Night of Glass Dolls on Shudder streaming. As a refresher, giallo films are sleazy, lurid thrillers from Italy in the 1960s and 70s, mostly concentrated in the early 70s. There are some major and minor elements that make a film a giallo. They are all murder mysteries with a twisty plot with red herrings, a masked and gloved killer, sometimes the killer POV. The killings themselves are gory and typically sexualized, and the glamorous mid-century trappings include groovy scores, striking architecture and interiors, and amazing fashion. Some titles typifying the genre would be Dario Argento's Cat of Nine Tales from 1971 and Mario Bava's Five Dolls for an August Moon from 1970. Given all of these elements, we'll be assessing how well a film represents the giallo subgenre. A film can be definitely a giallo if it has most elements in overall the right vibe. It can be kinda a giallo if it has some elements but is missing major ones or has elements of another genre that eclipses its essential giallo-ness. A movie can also be not really a giallo. <laughs> where it's potentially adjacent but lacks enough elements to typify the genre well enough for us. These are all just our opinions. So, Joe, tell me about Short Night of Glass Dolls. Short Night of Glass Dolls is Aldo Lado's one-of-a-kind conspiratorial thriller from 1971. A janitor finds the corpse of Gregory Moore in a plaza in Soviet Prague. An ambulance races his corpse through the Prague streets to the morgue. Following the tenor of Edgar Allan Poe's 1844 short story Premature Burial, Gregory is in a state of catalepsis, meaning that he appears dead, but we can hear his inner monologue. Noticing the absence of rigor mortis and decrease in body temperature, a team of doctors, including Gregory's friend Yvonne, try to revive him and explore this physiological anomaly. Meanwhile, we see how Gregory got to this point in a series of flashbacks. We find out that he is an American working at a paper and are introduced to his colleague Jacques and headscarf-clad Jessica, played by Ingrid Tulin of Ingmar Bergman's 1972 Cries and Whispers. Gregory meets Czech girlfriend Mira, in true Giallo fashion, she's half his age, at the train station, and the two share an extremely 70s-looking romantic montage around the picturesque city. That night, the two go to a party attended by several prominent persons, including Professor Carding and Yvonne, among dignitaries and other members of state. In the middle of the night, Jacques awakens Gregory, stating that he has received a hot tip. Gregory meets Jacques, who is at a cafe hanging out with hippies, only to discover that the hot tip was fake. Upon returning to his apartment, Gregory finds that Mira has vanished without a trace, leaving her purse, passport, tampax, and all of her clothes. Quickly realizing that Soviet police aren't going to be of any help and that he is the prime suspect, Gregory launches into his own investigation. He follows up on members of the party they attended, first visiting Professor Carding. Parenthetically, in this scene, Professor Carding is giving a truly bizarre demonstration of how a tomato can experience pain, thus proving that plants are sentient. Gregory quickly finds out that several beautiful young women have gone missing in the middle of the night without a trace, naked and without passport or money like Mira. He tries tracking down several of these young women, but hits a brick 
wall until one of the fathers he interviews schedules a late night meeting. The man is pushed from an overpass onto a train track, killing him as Gregory approaches. Gregory recovers a membership card for an organization called Club 99 from the man's pocket. At Club 99, he stumbles upon a classical concert before wandering off into mysterious hallways and being chased off by club personnel. The audience sees he has missed the room where Mira is being kept seemingly catatonic and positioned amongst a display of dead butterflies. Jessica and Gregory reunite their pre-Mira sexual relationship and she tries to convince him to flee Prague, but he has become too obsessed with the case to just walk away. Shock calls Gregory in the middle of the night from a phone booth saying he's going to follow up on a hot tip and reinvestigate Club 99. Mid-call, a mysterious figure ambushes Jacques, stabbing him to death but leaving his blood on a handkerchief with Gregory's initials. Gregory rushes to Jacques but finds only his corpse and is thrown over a bridge into the river by a mysterious figure. The police try to get Gregory to confess to Mira's murder, but he refuses and they ultimately release him. At home, he finds Mira's corpse in his refrigerator as the police knock on the door. He escapes, running to Club 99, where he sees an odd spectacle. The attendees at the concert from the other day in an ecstatic orgy scattered with dignitaries from the party scene. One of them presides over a young woman on an altar, and several figures speak of how they are an arch-conservative cult, whose main aim is to silence the turbulent youth of today, conserving the old world ways. We flash forward to a surgical theater where Gregory is about to be operated on by his friend Yvonne, revealing him to be in on the conspiracy from the previous scene, as other members of the cult look on from the rafters. Jessica is also in attendance and lets out a blood-curdling scream as the surgeon sinks his scalpel between Gregory's ribs, killing him. What is twisty about the plot? For me, it's because it's kind of seemingly a murder plot at first, but then it's really a disappearance. You don't know what happened to these women. They do find a couple of corpses and things. He figures out the conspiracy by going that scene where he goes to the library, and then he figures out that all these other women have gone missing. And then he talks to the families. You don't really know what's going on. And it's all in this frame narrative where he's being operated on. Maybe it's more weird than twisty. In terms of Jallo, I normally think of twistiness being the many different suspects that you have to eliminate the motives that are hidden that you need to figure out the kind of MacGuffins distinguishing those from actual plot points whereas Short Night of Glass Dolls is interesting because it has a central mystery we're not quite sure even what the mystery is has there been a death was Mira killed did she run away or disappear as an audience we're definitely meant given that she left all of her things to suspect. But who are we suspecting? Are we suspecting Gregory? Are we suspecting Gregory's friend Shaq, Professor Carding, with his weird ideas about plant sentience? Another character we're suspecting is really the Soviet police at large, because this was an era where people would disappear. So it's really interesting because I would characterize it as a twisty plot, but it's not twisty in the same way as other Jolly are. If we think about something like Blood and Black Lace, then that has a clear suspect list. All of the models, all of the men that they're involved with, they're all laid out as suspects and they're laid out in particular by the camera. We see this again in What Have You Done With Solange? All the faculty were suspects, all the men were suspects. And then eventually the girls themselves became suspects as well. In Short Night of Glass Dolls, the Soviet government system is a suspect. You can't pan over that. You can get it through the setting, through the interactions with the police. It is a twist 
twisty plot. You don't know what's going on, but it's not twisty in the same way that other Jalo films are twisty. I came into this conversation thinking that that was one of the strongest elements in favor of it being a Jalo, but now that we're discussing, I'm not sure. Are there any major elements that stood out to you as being very Jalo specific? I suppose the elements that stood out to me the most were, and this dovetails on your comments, is the foreign setting of it being in Prague. And that's kind of a Giallo staple where Europe in the 70s, in the post-war world in general, was very cosmopolitan and there was a lot of border crossing and Giallos really reflected that and uh, frequently were either shot in foreign countries or took place in foreign countries. For example, spaghetti westerns being shot in Spain and other gialli being shot in London and the south of France and other places. It does have that foreign setting element, which makes for the next big staple, which would be the foreign amateur detective, foreigner in this environment. We have Jean Sorel playing Gregory Moore, an American journalist who's behind the Iron Curtain, who's brushing up against the apparatchik at every possible turn. And so he's kind of forced to be a citizen detective and to solve Mira's disappearance. The setting and the amateur detective were the biggest giallo elements for me. Yeah, because Gregory is the main suspect in Mira's disappearance. So he is an amateur detective trying to clear his name, which is something that we see really frequently with Jolly. Are there any other elements that you noticed? One of the strongest elements in favor of it being a giallo is the mid-century-ness. We don't have the Soviet Union anymore, so that places this at a very specific place in time, as does all the fashion. Jessica's amazing headscarves that you mentioned. A lot of the hippie involvement, that's such a mid-century hallmark. The score as well is in Ennio Morricone and Bruno Nicolai, and it has that woman la-la-la, that woman vocalization that we hear in so many Giallo scores. So I think the mid-century feel of it all assists it in being more Giallo. Along with the beautiful nude women, the short night of glass dolls, who are the glass dolls? It's these young women who are probably 18 or 20 at most who have gone missing. And we see naked corpse in the morgue and naked corpse pulled from the river. We see Barbara Bach's character Mira on the pedestal. She's kind of enshrined by dead butterflies. We see her again in the orgy scene. That ends the movie, that crazy orgy scene. We see her. It adds to the salacious feel of a giallo to have all that beautiful nudity. What are the minor elements then? Stylistically, it feels giallo-y. Something about the way the flashbacks are done and the camera angles used feel very giallo to me, which is not to say that it's unique only to the genre. A lot of giallo is, as we've covered before, influenced by Hitchcock, so that could be an influence there. In Short Night of Glass Dolls in particular, the fact that we have this frame narrative where we're hearing Gregory as an apparent corpse, his inner monologue, we're seeing his flashbacks. The movie is kind of sectioned up so that you see a bunch of flashback flashes before you actually get that clip of the story. And the way that those flashes are stylized, the fact that we have butterflies as a recurring theme with Mira and the idea of preserved insects, because butterflies are an insect that you mount, that also feels like a giallo element. Sometimes there are these really strong associations with characters or with themes because we're thinking about what is frozen in time 
human what appears dead but is still maybe beautiful like these corpses of women i think that stylistically it feels very giallo to me what do you think in terms of minor elements dovetailing on your comments i picked up on a hybridization of certain giallo styles for example with the flashbacks there are flashbacks in other gialli such as in baba's bay of blood the secretary for example she remembers right before she gets murdered in that one scene and she throws hot water on that guy's face she's remembering the deal that she made to try to seduce the guy and get the property title for her lover guy and there's a few flashbacks scattered throughout that film for example and then in argento we have the flash flashbacks in Deep Red, but in both of these instances, the flashbacks, they're not used as a frame narrative device. They're more just kind of sprinkled throughout. The reason that it comes off as a hybrid is that there's also a giallo thing of doing that cutting as scene transition, like cutting between two scenes really rapidly. For example, like at the end of Bird with the Crystal Plumage, when there's that psychobabble, psycho-inspired scene where they're explaining Monica Ranieri and her psychopathology and what happened to her. And that's cutting between them getting on the airplane. The flashback structure and this and how it cut to those images really quick. There's these series of images which show what's about to come and they're representative images from that that introduce the sequence we're about to see. This hybridization of flashback and a very giallo-y scene transition. The way giallo films do this versus other genres is the composition of the flashback scenes. They all seem disconnected objects or moments that will then be revealed and it's all done with these camera angles that feel very mid-century mystery horror. We've seen a lot of flashbacks. We saw kind of an extended black and white one in What Have You Done to Solange, also in Bloodstained Butterfly. There are several jolly that use flashbacks where there are these cryptic, artful shots intercut very quickly and then something is revealed. Because we also have movies like A Lizard in a Woman's Skin, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, or All the Colors of the Dark that have these dream sequences that also function as flashbacks. In Short Night of Glass Dolls, it was much more literal, but you do see the similarities in having these hints revealed through cryptic shots, through dream sequences. It just all feels very jello to me. The function of the flashbacks here is to foreshadow or allude to the ending, the surprise ending in A Lizard in a Woman's Skin and The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward and a lot of these other ones. The flashbacks are meant to disorient you in the sense of, is it a flashback or is it a dream sequence? Is it some sort of like fugue state or something? This one is interesting. It's literal, but it's also alluding to this ending. You see clips of the golden figures from the orgies against the black background in one of the flashback transition parts. It's providing you clues rather than disorienting you, which is a major difference, I think. Other minor elements that I saw was just this massive hippie paranoia. Your fave. You love a hippie cult, don't you? This post-Manson anxiety over and lampooning of hippies. We saw this in Your Vices, A Locked Room and Only I Have the Key, A Lizard in a Woman's Skin, Bay of Blood. So many others. Hippies signify something that's not just peace love. They signify the dark underbelly of anti-establishment thinking. The hippies are not the bad guys. The cult in this case is very much the establishment. It's the government system. It's these foreign dignitaries. It's the people who are in power, which is, I think, more compelling that way. But I do like a bit of hippie chaos too. It was kind of a red herring in this one. Because you think the hippies are evil because they're brainwashed. They seem weird. It seems like something's up the 
the way that they're behaving. For example, that rich hippie girl from the party scene who Jacques is macking on, I guess. I thought she was a wax figure when we initially saw her because she was so stoned, I guess. But I thought it was just a wax figure. There was so much other art in that room that I thought he was standing by a wax figure rather than a living person. It's kind of a foreshadowing element, too, of what we see at the end. It's this old world arch conservative cult that's brainwashing the turbulent youth. I thought it was a really interesting subversion of what we've seen before because a lot of the morality of Giallo is conservative. A lot of the writers and directors seem to be working out their anxiety about women having more rights, about the existence of queer people, about drugs, drug culture in general and counterculture broadly. I really liked this movie because it was the opposite of that. The countercultural hippie youth and the reporters trying to get at the truth. They were the ones who were being preyed on by this larger establishment rather than the reverse where it seems like a hippie cult, but it's actually a revenge killing or whatever the case may be in other giallo. What about Short Night of Glass Dolls was missing in order to define it as gialli? What were the missing elements? Because we were both kind of like, uh, like even with the twisty plot, we're like, oh yeah, I don't know. Was it a twisty plot? Yeah, I think the, the most notable one is the lack of killer whose identity is obscured. We do see a mysterious figure a couple of times. However, there is no gloved knife or scythe or whatever instrument of destruction wielding killer who maybe has a hat, maybe has a mask. There was no killer POV. There was some amount of nudity. However, there were not gory stylized killings in the way that I'd expect from a giallo. So I think the killer and the the killings, because we're really only seeing after the fact were pervasive throughout is the idea of corpses. What do you think? Were there any elements missing or added to Short Night of Glass Dolls that made it not a giallo for you? For me, this one is very paranoid conspiratorial. In the very setting, Soviet Prague communism, Jean Sorel, the foreign detective, amateur detective, he's in a city that's just defined by being super old and almost by stillness. The butterflies are a symbol of that. There's not one mysterious killer. It's more of just this apparatchik conspiracy, this communist conspiracy almost. There's this vast bureaucracy and that's where the orders are coming from. And there's this cult within it who's trying to preserve this stillness. They're killing the butterflies and putting them under glass and everything. They themselves look like corpses as well. There's that scene where um, Gregory goes into Club 99 for the first time and there's that concert going on and the audience looks, they look like corpses. They have pale makeup on they're sitting very still. It almost reminds me of Messiah of Evil, which is one of my favorite 70s horror movies in the theater. There's kind of parallels to that. And they were dead there. I don't think that this was necessarily a direct influence either way, but it just reminded me. So the conspirators themselves outside of the orgy scene are themselves very corpse-like. And then it's also a supernatural and a cult. It has those elements. Which we see in other Gialli, like All the Colors of the Dark. There's that satanic cult and that was directly a ripoff of Rosemary's Baby Italian style and then we have a lizard in a woman's skin where there's a similar hippie death orgy cult thing going on in Anita Strindberg's apartment. Fulci did that in Don't Torture a Duckling as well, just because there was that whole subplot with a witch and with making clay figures and kind of burying them and doing rituals. So I wonder if that was a fascination of his. (laughs) 
the elements that exist, the elements that don't exist, and then the elements that are additional and maybe give it a different feel. How well do you think Short Night of Glass Dolls does as a giallo? I would say it's not really a giallo. Mira and a bunch of other young women disappear mysteriously, but they aren't really killed in a giallo way. Are they killed or are they just catatonic? I think they're just made catatonic. Really, the only murder is of Gregory Moore, the Jean Sorel character at the end, because he has to be silenced. There's not the typical giallo manner of having a killer POV that's ultra fetishistic and super sexualized murders. And there's no masked and gloved killer. That's kind of the biggest criterion for a film being a giallo for me. There has to be that strong, mysterious killer presence. I mean, it does have certain elements. It has the amateur detective in a foreign setting, mid-century fabulousness, with a special shout out to Ingrid Thulin's headscarves. They were outstanding. But these elements on their own, they're not enough for it to be classified as a giallo for me. For me, Short Night of Glass Dolls evoked Agatha Christie's espionage adventure novels from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. They came from Baghdad or Passenger to Frankfurt, where there's some sort of global conspiracy involving a secret society, which is, of course, looking to instate some mind control or submit the masses to an evil re-communist worldview. Oftentimes in those books, there's this anxiety over the youth of the world and how they're easily malleable. And it all ties into how Agatha Christie hated hippies and unwashed girls who had frizzy hair and stuff. She really hated them because she thought that they were malleable, susceptible to these kind of evil Luciferian ideas. She even has some hot Lucifer characters in several of her books. They Came to Baghdad comes to mind. There's this hot Lucifer evil character. So it evoked that for me. So it was less of a murder, more of kind of had more of an espionage adventure feeling. Some things I really liked were the frame narrative flashback structure of the film, which we discussed extensively, but I thought that was super effective and pretty original in the Giallo canon. I mean, if this can be included. I was thinking that I had seen something similar. I had seen a horror movie at some point where someone had trapped in syndrome, but for the life of me, can't find out the name of it. Could have fabricated it just because of that strong Poe influence. So it may have been me inventing something from Poe. I also feel that this is really unique. On top of that, it's just really fun and enjoyable movie to watch. So in terms of recommendations, I'd say watch it further down down the line in your giallo journey. And I think you should definitely watch it at some point, even if it's not really a giallo, in my opinion. The hippies are really fun. I really love that Rain of Blood song on the bridge that that hippie is singing. And it kind of falsely leads you into the evil hippie vibes. But in reality, it's like we know that hippies aren't actually evil in this movie. It has one of our favorite narrative devices where everything is tied together in the last sequence or series of scenes and what feels like a 90 degree turn, often in the last 15 minutes of the movie. I've seen this film maybe three times now and the ending is genuinely shocking every time for me even though I know the outcome and I really like when knowing the outcome makes subsequent viewings of the film even more enjoyable something that I first noticed when I was watching Hitchcock growing up was that I liked the films even more once I knew what happened and that's not an easy thing to pull off so Cheers to this movie. Short Night of Glass Dolls had a lot of influence that isn't really 
stated or recognized as such in film history or in film canons. For example, when we were watching it, we both got Eyes Wide Shut vibes. And I really do think that maybe this film influenced Eyes Wide Shut. I would definitely recommend, even though I think it's not really a giallo, I think you should definitely watch it at some point. What's your take, Katie? I would agree with you that it's not really a giallo. It is... A twisty mystery with red herrings. It has great mid-century style, as you mentioned. But tonally, I found it similar to thrillers, particularly thrillers in the where is my wife vein, like frantic or even possession, as well as cult thrillers. So all the colors of the dark we mentioned is probably the closest giallo adjacent film. But I was also thinking of Bava's Lisa and the Devil, which is an amazing disorienting film or Messiah of Evil that I talked about a little bit. I also think there are some ties whenever there is a cult to folk horror. So in the 70s, there was also the original Wicker Man. And that reminded me in that the inspector is looking for a girl, not his wife, but a missing person and eventually is killed by a cult. I also am seeing the echoes of this film in more recent ones. I'm thinking of Ben Wheatley's Kill List. I'm thinking of Benson and Moorhead's The Endless, Ari Aster's films, even something like, I know completely different time period, but I was thinking of The Witch, Robert Eggers' 2015 film, just in terms of the dread and the way things go off the rails. I think that's probably our mutual favorite, is a feeling 90 minutes of dread and then 15 minutes of, ah! I also loved the framing narrative because I'm a huge Poe fan and love that Catalopsis because I'm a huge fan and Catalopsis is an enduring fear of mine because I read Poe too young. And I love that dread and then the off the rails bonkers third act. This was probably my favorite in the Jallo sequence that we've done, even if it wasn't really a Jallo. This is definitely one that I would suggest as you're branching out from Jallo and not at the beginning of your journey if you're trying to get any friends into Giallo. Thank you so much for joining us. To be notified of new Genre Fans episodes, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and toss us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. To continue the discussion with us, visit us on Instagram or Twitter or in the comment section of our Genre Deep Dive videos posted bi-weekly to our YouTube channel. All links in the description of this episode. We'll see you next week to continue the Jallo discussion with Death Walks at Midnight. Thank you.